Shalom, everyone. I'm Monty Jude with Lion and Lamb Ministries. Welcome to our program. We're going through a study of the book of Jeremiah. We call it the Expectations of Jeremiah. And at the moment, we are at chapter 29. Now, in our study of the book of Jeremiah, we've been talking a lot about Jeremiah's prophecy, warning to Israel through a series of kings that they were going to go into captivity with the Babylonians. Uh, and at this juncture, they have gone into captivity with the Babylonians, and the book now is going to make a major shift. Instead of speaking to the Babylonian captivity that's going to come, it's now understood the captivity has come, and Jeremiah is now going to shift gears and, be and begin to speak of another thing that's going to take place. Instead of future captivity, he's going to talk about a future restoration of Israel, and he will speak all the way to the end of the ages about how this restoration is going to take place. And we have some very, very powerful prophecies from Jeremiah that even to this day are very profound and uh, a part of our own um, uh, walk of faith uh, before the Lord. So here we are at chapter 29, and this is the moment when Jeremiah is going to write a letter, and he's going to send it to the exiles that are sitting in Babylon. He's going to send them a message that says, hey, guys, you're going to be there for 70 years. So you might as well go ahead and build a house, get yourself settled. You're going to be there a while. And 70 years, of course, would be a whole lifetime. Uh, if you had been born at the start of the thing, you'd live a full life, you know, there in Babylon uh, from it. There will be people born then in Babylon that will be coming back. And this is a very interesting time because historically we're talking about this is the time when Ezekiel was a prophet in Babylon, when Daniel became a prophet and saw this letter of Jeremiah's prophesy, uh, prophesying about the 70 years, and Daniel saw the end of the 70 years coming in his day. And But, but again, the prophecies are going to shift away from uh, that judgment that was happening, and it's going to speak to future good things, specifically the restoring of all of Israel. And it's going to even branch into what the, how the Messiah is going to be a part of that. So with that said, let's look at chapter 29, beginning at verse 1. Now, these are the words of the letter which Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the rest of the elders in the exile, the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now, I'm going to kind of super accelerate through this chapter a little bit. There's a preamble that goes in here to what about the latter of those that were involved? And so let me take it up again at verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I've sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce, take wives, become the fathers of sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to uh, for husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not de decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for it is a wealth, it is a wealth for you, 
for in its welfare for you have welfare. By the way, you could take those words and you could describe what are we supposed to be doing in exile of the nations, those that got scattered out of Israel from 70 A.D.? Well, here's the words of Jeremiah. Occupy where you're at, live, you know, have children, prosper, continue on, seek the welfare of where you're at so that you have welfare, and don't decrease but increase. Verse 9. Uh, no, excuse me, verse 8. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets who are in your midst and your, and your diviners deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams which they dream, for they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you, and you will seek me and find me when you search with me with all of your heart. And I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place for where I sent you into exile. Of all of the verses that we have in the book of Jeremiah, this uh, verse here, Jeremiah uh, verse 11, happens to be one of the most um, favorite verses of evangelical Christianity. They love to quote this verse whenever um, they want to say a very positive thing to a fellow believer, and they want to encourage them. Let me repeat the words to you. And, and if you can imagine the scenario, here's a modern-day believer. Here's this other fellow who wants to encourage that modern-day believer, whatever their circumstances are. And he says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. Now, isn't that a positive word? That's a very positive word. A lot of people take application of those words and they say it, and it's more of a personal soothsaying. Let me say that again. Is that really what the prophet intended to say? Is that, is that the proper application of those words to speak to any situation that we have today? Go up to someone who's discouraged, say these words over them, and thus, this is a word from the Lord for that person to encourage them. The answer is flat out no. Why? Because the context of these words is speaking to a people in exile who are being punished. And he's saying, you're going to accept your punishment. You're going to be 70 years here. But let me, let me tell you what the future holds, though. In the future... I still have plans of good things for you. But you're still going to do this. A lot of folks, um, and I'm going to say this in all love of my brethren, uh, since I've been in the ministry for a while and I've ministered to different people, you know, a lot of folks will come into me and they're in a difficult situation of their own making. And coming in and appealing to the Lord is not necessarily going to solve that. 
You have you made this bed. You're sleeping in it. You're going to have to deal with this for a while. You did you did this to yourself. The Lord didn't do this to you. Somebody else didn't do this to you. You you made the conscious decisions that you decided to do, and you put yourself in these circumstances and so forth. Now, overall, do we know the Lord's intention toward us is good? Yes, we all know that. In the end, do we know that the Lord is going to do good to us? Yes, we can all be assured of it. The plan right now is all of us are going to be in the kingdom. And by the way, the kingdom is going to be a lot better than what we got here. Um, so we could say that. But what they do is they take this verse and they try to draw too immediate application into somebody's particular circumstances at the moment, and that's not what this verse is about. And this word of exhortation from Jeremiah does not solve that problem that's immediately happening to a person, um, you know, for it. And just saying these words over them is not going to solve that particular problem they put themselves into. (coughs) Pardon me. This is really speaking to the future and to the future for all of us. And he's saying that, hey, there's going to be this great return from the nations. There's going to be this great repentance. And he's really talking about something that we'll later on describe as the greater exodus. When all of Israel scattered and all the nations have been there multiple generations and we repent, we return, there's a, there's a day coming that will be the end of the ages. God has it planned out. And just like there was 70 years planned for Judah to be in Babylon, there's a serious number of generations and so forth planned uh, for us to be in the nations. And in the end, God has some wonderful plans for us. And we know that there's trauma and turmoil associated with those things. That's going to happen. We're not going to be exempt from calamity. We're not going to be exempt from punishment for things that we have done. Um, God is not mocked. The guilty do not go unpunished. But at the same time, we have God's grace. We have God's mercy. Uh, But I know a lot of people who have God's grace and mercy for eternal things, but they're still suffering for things they've done here. And if, uh, if, for example, you're a criminal and you violate the law and you become a believer, well, praise the Lord, I'm glad that you're a believer and so forth, but that deed that you did here, breaking the law, you're still going to pay a price. You're still going to be penalized for it, and there's still going to be punishment for it. There's lots of believers in prisons a lot of believers in prisons. But just because they become a believer does not exempt them from the punishment or the situation they put themselves into. And people who misapply this verse, it's really talking to a group of people that are in exile and they're going to endure the punishment and the penalty of that uh, before the end is all going to be done. All right, verse 15 Because you have said, the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon, for thus says the Lord concerning the king who sits at the throne of David and concerning all the people who dwell in this city, your brothers who did not go with you into exile. Thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, I'm sending upon them sword, famine, and pestilence, and I will make them like a split open figs that cannot be eaten due to rottenness. And I will pursue them with the sword and with famine and with pestilence, 
I will make them a terror to all the kingdoms of the earth to be a curse and a whore and a hissing and reproach from all the nations where I have driven them. Just so we understand what Jeremiah is saying. He said, now, you guys that are in exile right now where I told you to make houses and dwell and get along with the people and so forth. Do not think that you got the brunt of the problem, you know, because there's still other brothers back here in the land that didn't go into exile. Let me tell you what's going to happen to them. They're going to be suffering the sword. They are going to suffer famine. They are going to suffer all kinds of punishments here. It would have been better if they'd have gone into exile. And the history of Israel has been one of those when Israel went into exile, they, they, they were able to prevail amongst the nations where they're at. But if they stayed where they're at, they suffered death and, and terrible things uh, for it. And that's part of the reason why Jeremiah fled the land of Israel even after the exiles left, because the trauma that was coming to the land was going to destroy those folks uh, from it. And that's what he's referring to here. Um, <clears throat> verse uh, 21, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning Ahab, the son of Kaliah, and concerning Zedekiah, the son of Maaseiah, who are prophesying to you falsely in my name. Behold, I will deliver them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall slay them before your eyes. You remember all those guys back here in the land that are in charge? They're going to be hauled to where you're going to see them die there in Babylon. Terrible. Um, verse 23, because they acted foolishly in Israel and have committed adultery with your neighbors' wives and have spoken words in my name falsely, which I did not command them, and for I am he who knows and am a witness, declares the Lord. And he goes on to say even further here in this letter, uh, how the letter will be transmitted. And to Shemaiah, the Nehlamite, who you shall speak, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, because you have sent letters in your own name to all the people who are in Jerusalem, and to Zephaniah, the son of Messiah, Messiah, the priest, and to all the priests, saying, The Lord has made you priest instead of uh, Yehoiada, and the priest to be the overseer of the house of the Lord over every madman who prophesies to put him in the stocks and in the iron collar, now then, why have you rebuked Jeremiah, the Anatote, who prophesies to you? For he has sent us in Babylon, saying, The exile will be long, build houses, live in them, plant gardens, and eat their produce. And Zephaniah the priest read this letter to Jeremiah the prophet. And then came the word of the Lord of Jer to Jeremiah, saying, Send to all the exiles, saying, Thus says the Lord concerning Shemaiah and the Nehalamite. Because Shemaiah has prophesied to you, although I did not send him, and he has made you trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I'm about to punish Shemaiah and Nehlamite and his descendants, and he shall not have anyone living among his people, and he shall see the good, uh, and he shall not see the good that I'm about to do to my people, declares the Lord, because he has preached rebellion against the Lord. Um, again, another example of a prophet that was false. He was prophesying good things to the people, but causing them to trust and be in rebellion to what the Lord had said. Jeremiah is dealing with, again, more false prophets going on. Um, let me uh, 
I'm a little bit reluctant to do this, but but it's such a strong application, I'm, I'm going to mention it. In our day that we live, where we talk about the end of the age coming and the prophecies eventually will be the day of the Lord, the coming of the Lord, and, and so forth, even in the midst of those prophecies, we have a, a series of people who are speaking prophetically to God's people, and are saying basically to him, and you're going to hear these words again, uh, you shall have peace, and no calamity will come upon you. Things like, well, you've heard the prophecies of the Great Tribulation. That won't apply to you. You can be a person in the last generation, and they say that won't apply to you. Basically what they say is you're going to be raptured out of here. You're going to escape, and what God's got planned for you is so much better than what he's got planned for other people. And you don't have to worry about all these prophecies uh, about getting ready for the end and and things like that. We, We have people going around saying that today. And I want you to, and, and the prophecy tells us, and Yeshua told us this word, that in the last days there would be many false prophets. In Jeremiah's day, there were many false prophets. What was the common thread of all of the false prophets? The common thread was they were all prophesying peace and prosperity and that good things were going to happen. That's the common thread of all of the false prophets in Jeremiah's day. Uh, Do you think there's any possibility that in the last days that maybe that biblical pattern could be repeating itself into the last generation? Or I would submit to you that's exactly what that pattern is, and that's exactly what's taking place. Instead of warning God's people, repent, we're coming to the end of the age, You've got to get ready for this. Stop being caught up in the world and start recognizing there's a day coming very shortly. The Lord's going to be coming back. And by the way, all that stuff you've been preparing for all of your life and so forth, all bets are off when the Messiah decides to return. And they want to just ignore that and instead want to say, hey, uh, no calamity will come upon us. We will have peace. We're the church. We, we're the good guys, and God's going to save us, special out of the world, and so we don't have to worry about any of that. And I've heard many people tell me that I don't need to study the prophecies of the end of the Great Tribulation or the Day of the Lord because that's doom and gloom, and it doesn't apply to me. They say that uh, they're going to get raptured out. Eerily similar to what was happening in Jeremiah's day. And, of course, we hear another one of them. That, and, they, and the Bible says that when you go around saying those things, you're preaching rebellion. Let me just assure you, brethren, preaching rebellion is not a good thing in the kingdom. That is not good. All right. Now, as I said to you before, we're getting ready to see a major shift. In the book. And to tell you the truth, our study, all these chapters up to this point, I've been excited to get to this, these chapters. Because I have extensively studied these latter chapters, and there's a tremendous amount of material that is about us in this day and speaks to the things that are applicable uh, to us. 
So chapter 30, beginning of verse 1, it says, The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Write all the words which I have spoken to you in a book. And if you remember, Baruch, who was the scribe that worked with Jeremiah, he's the one who actually wrote these words. Verse 3, For behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and Judah, and the Lord says, I also bring them back to the land which I gave to their forefathers, and they shall possess it. Now, that's an even broader answer, because in the days of Jeremiah, the house of Israel had gone into Assyrian captivity. He had prophesied to the house of Judah, and they had gone into Babylonian captivity. And he had predominantly dealt with the house of Judah. But all of a sudden, his prophecy is now about all of Israel. What God's going to do with all of Israel, not just Judah. And this expression where he talks about, for my people Israel and Judah, is a recognition of the two kingdoms. It's a recognition that there was a punishment that went to the northern kingdom and tribes. They went into Assyrian captivity. They lost their identity. And there's a judgment that came upon Judah, who went to Babylon and will be coming back from Babylon. But it's still, there's a prophecy that says all of them would be scattered in all the nations at the same time. Now, in the days of Jeremiah, that hadn't happened yet. But he's now prophesying way at the end, and he says, there's a day coming when Israel and Judah, they'll all be scattered in the nations, and I'm planning on restoring them, bringing them back. That's, quite honestly, that's what we call the good news. The good news is that God's going to bring us all back. That's the great news that we share with the scattered exiles, is that God is going to restore us and bring us back to us. Verse 4, now these are the words which the Lord spoke concerning Israel and concerning Judah. For thus says the Lord, I have heard a sound of terror, of dread, and there is no peace. Ask now and see if a male can give birth. Why do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in childbirth? And why have all faces turned pale? Alas, for that day is great. There is none like it. It is the time of Jacob's distress, but he will be saved from it. What I just read to you are the words that Jeremiah, this is the way he describes the event called the Great Tribulation. That's at the end of the world. The Messiah talks about the Great Tribulation. All the prophets talk about this time of the Great Tribulation. Daniel will talk about it. The book of Revelation talks about it. <clears throat> There's this period of three and a half years at the end of the ages in which the, the final elements come down. The final judgments of God come down on the earth. It leads to the day of the Lord. If you really want to know what the day of the Lord is at, you can go to the prophet Zephaniah. Zephaniah is the prophet of the day of the Lord. He spends an entire book defining what the day of the Lord is. And the day of the Lord is horrific. This is when God judges all of his enemies. This is when God makes his enemies absolutely exterminated. They're gone. We're not talking about the judgment out of the flood. 
We're not talking about previous judgments. We're talking about the enemies of God are completely gone, and the only people that remain are the people that belong to God. The day of the Lord. This one day, it's called the day of reconciliation. It's modeled for us in the day of atonement, um, in our feasts, this ultimate day of judgment. But what precedes it? This period of time called Jacob's trouble or Jacob's distress. And the reason why it's called that is because this is what Israel is going to have to endure. Israel is going to go through these days where this trauma, this turmoil is going to take place. It's a days, are you ready? It's a days in which terror is heard. What do we have going on in these days as we come to the end of the day? We have terrorists and we are living in terror. This is the way Jeremiah described our day. It would be leading to the great tribulation of dread. There is no peace. Is there any peace in the world, really? Is there peace in the Middle East? Is, there, does Israel, is Israel living in peace right now? No. There is no peace. And then he goes on to say, he says, why is it I see a man grabbing his loins like a woman in childbirth? You know, when a woman's in childbirth, I mean, there's the contractions and the pain. and there's some, Why is every man grabbing his, 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 his guts and so forth? And why, why is there such a distress looked on him? Because it's, what's happening is terrible. Every man looks like he's in, in, in bearing children. He's, he's crying out. He's, and by the way, all you have to do is watch international news scenes and see some of the news accounts of when people are being murdered, slain. You, you can see the wailing and the weeping, and you can see the, these, these are the days that we're living in when men's faces go pale. Uh, from all of the trauma that's going on. And by the way, we're just in the warm-up period. The Great Tribulation, Daniel will later on to go in and say, this is a time of distress that the world has never seen before. Well, let me tell you something. I've seen the world in a lot of distress. As a matter of fact, before I was born, the world, we had the Holocaust. World War II. World Wars. Influenza epidemics, millions of people dying, uh, terrible things happening. It says, no, it's worse than that. That's Jacob's distress. Verse 8, and it shall come about in that day, declares the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke off of his neck and will make tear off their bonds, and strangers will no longer make them their slaves. You know what that means? That means that Israel no longer is in exile and no longer taken captive. Israel will be set free. And that's part of the greater exodus is Israel becomes free and they're able to escape their captivity. But they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king whom I will raise up for them. And fear not, O Jacob, my servant, declares the Lord, and do not be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save you from afar. The words afar means I will save you in distant lands. A word, if I'll save you from afar. You, you won't necessarily be here in the land of Israel. I'll save you while you're out there. I'll deliver you from out there. 
your offspring from the land of their captivity. And Jacob shall return and shall be quiet and at ease, and no one shall make him afraid. Wow. Now that phrase I really like because when I go out and I speak about the end time prophecies, I gotta be, I gotta tell you the truth. There are a lot of people who, as I teach on these things and explain them, they're afraid. They're so afraid, they want to reject what I say. They don't want to hear it. Oh, don't tell me about that doom and gloom stuff. I, I don't want to, I can't take that. I, I don't want to listen to that. I, it, it's, and the reason is because they're afraid. And the reason why they're afraid is they don't believe the promise of God that said he would save them. They're not trusting the Lord. The Lord has said, I will save you in the midst of it. I will deliver you. But they're afraid. That means they're not really trusting what the Lord said. For I am with you, verse 11, declares the Lord, to save you. They never get to that verse. They say, I'm afraid, and they never hear the verse. For I am with you, declares the Lord, to save you. For I will destroy completely all the nations where I have scattered you, only I will not destroy you completely. But I will chasten you justly, and will by no means leave you unpunished. You know, I shared with you earlier that part of what God says that he does, you're going to um, have to pay recompense. You're going to have to make restitution. You're going to, there's certain things that are going to have to get corrected, but, but he still is going to save us in the midst of that, uh, with that all going on. And that is, um, that's not well understood by a lot of folks. They just want it, you know, I, I want to be zapped out of here. I want to be, I don't want to have to incur any, any consequence for what I've done in my life. I just, I just want to go right to the kingdom, be in the presence of God. And, and, and so, sorry, that's not the plan. You're going to be here on the earth. You're going to see all these things unfold. You're going to see the word of the Lord. I'm going to save you in the midst of that. I'm going to save you from afar, and and I will deliver you. And by the way, you're going to learn all about me in the course of those events. Verse 12, for thus says the Lord, your wound is incurable and your injury is serious. There is no one to plead your cause, no healing for your sword, no recovery for you. All your lovers have forgotten you, and they will not seek you. For I have wounded you with the wound of an enemy, with the punishment of a cruel one, because your iniquity is great and your sins are numerous. Why do you cry out over your injury? Your pain is incurable, because your iniquity is great and your sins are numerous. I have done these things to you, therefore all who devour you shall be devoured. And all your adversaries, every one of them, shall go into captivity. And those who plunder you shall be plunder. And all who prey upon you will give for prey. For I will restore you to health, and I will heal you from your wounds, declares the Lord, because you have been called, because they have called you an outcast, saying, It is Zion, no one cares for her. Let me just kind of put that in contrast for you. The enemies that are coming against the people of God, first of all, it's a fact. Uh, we got a sin problem. 
We are wounded because of it. We, we're, we've been harmed because of it. There is, we have no cure for it. We, there, there's no way I can deliver myself. My enemies know that. And my enemies have taken full advantage of it. They shouldn't have, but they have. So we've incurred lots of things here. But the Lord has said, look, when the day comes that I'm going to restore you, by the way, I'm going to heal you. I'm going to bring you back to health. And by the way, all those enemies that were doing what they were doing to you, I'm going to do to them. There's going to be justice. Uh, and they are going to pay a price for it. Just like you had to pay a price, they're going to pay a price for it. And it, it comes down to this. If God is going to be just with his own house and punish his own house for their sins, how in the world are the people that are not in God's house going to make it? Well, they're not. If God is this just and this severe with us who belong to him, how much more severe will he be with those that don't belong to him? Is, is really what the message is for here. Verse 18, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will restore the fortunes of, uh, fortunes of the tents of Jacob. And by the way, the word for tents there is Sukkot. Another verse that talks about how Sukkot has something to do with your future. Temporary dwelling places. And have compassion on his dwelling places, and the city shall be rebuilt on its ruin. The palace shall stand its rightful place, and from them shall proceed thanksgiving. And the voice who make merry, and I will multiply them, and they shall not be diminished. I will so honor them, and they shall not be insignificant. Their children also shall be as formerly. Their congregation shall be established before me, and I will punish all their oppressors. Their leaders shall be one of them, and their rulers shall come forth from their midst. And I will bring him near, and he shall approach me. For who would dare to risk his life to approach me, declares the Lord. And you shall be my people, and I will be your God. Now, there's no more positive way to basically say this as to when the Lord says, I'm going to restore the fortunes of Jacob. What what that really means? That that's a very powerful, very positive way to say that. Um, let, uh, there was one other thought I wanted to share with you there very briefly. I'll think of it in a moment. Let's continue on. Verse twenty three. Behold, the tempest of the Lord. Wrath has gone forth, a sweeping tempest. It will burst on the head of the wicked. The fierce anger of the Lord will not turn back until He perform and until He has accomplished the intent of His heart. You need to underline the next set of words. In the latter days, you will understand this. This is speaking directly to what we're going to see. We're going to see God restore the house of Jacob. He's going to restore Israel and Judah. He's going to be bringing us back to the land. He's going to restore the land, reestablish the kingdom and the land so that we might dwell there. And he's going to punish our enemies. And it's going to come down on their heads. And it will be absolute and complete. And in the latter days, when we see all of this, we will finally understand what the Lord is talking about. Now, at the moment, we just are full with hope. We're taking his words and trying to have a sense of what they mean. 
But he says we'll definitely understand it as it begins to unfold for us. All right, chapter 31. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. Israel, when it went to find its rest, the Lord appeared to him from afar, saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have drawn you with loving kindness. Again, I will build you. You shall be rebuilt, O virgin of Israel. Again, you shall take up your tambourines, go forth to the dances of the merrymakers, Again, you shall plant vineyards on the hills of Samaria. The planters shall plant and shall enjoy. From there, will, from there shall be a day when watchmen on the hills of Ephraim shall call out, Arise, let us go up to Zion to the Lord our God. Time out. Who said this? Jeremiah said this. Can you see the incredible contrast of what we're reading? You know, all these other previous 29 chapters, warning of captivity and don't listen to false prophets and judgments coming and so forth. And now he's talking about something utterly incredibly and wonderful taking place. The question is, how in the world is that all going to happen? How does it all take place? Because there's this great calamity at the end, and yet this is what he's going to do and so forth. So that begs the question How in the world is Israel's mourning going to be turned to this utter joy? Verse 7. For thus says the Lord, Sing aloud with gladness for Jacob, and shout among the chiefs of the nations. Proclaim, give praise, and say, O Lord, save thy remnant, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I am bringing them from the north country, and I will gather them from the remote parts of the earth, among them the blind and the lame, the woman with the child who is in labor with the child together, a great company, and they shall return here. With weeping they shall come by supplication. I will lead them. I will make them walk by streams of water on a straight path in which they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Israel, or Ephraim, is my firstborn. Verse 10, hear the word of the Lord, O nations, declare to the coastlands afar off, and say, He who scattered Israel will gather him, and keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob, and redeemed him from the hand who is stronger than he. And they shall come and shout for joy on the height of Zion, and they shall be radiant over the bounty of the Lord, over the grain and the new wine and the oil. And over the young of the flock and the herd and their life shall be like a watered garden. And they shall never languish again. Then the virgin shall rejoice in the dance and the young men and the old together. For I will turn their mourning into joy and will comfort them and give them joy for their sorrow. And I will fill the soul of the priests with abundance. And my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. I want to say something that's kind of scary here for some people while you're going through it. Did he mention the church here? These are promises for Israel and for the remnant of Israel, meaning you have to be associated with the God of Israel. 
your definition, your, your identity is in Israel. Now, we have a lot of folks who believe in the Lord, but their identity is not in Israel. Their identity is in the church. Let me just say something to you. That is a poor substitute for what Israel is going to be. Um, There is no greater positive thing that can be said. Israel is going to be fully established in the kingdom. Now, I have a lot of um, dispensational brethren who think, well, the church is one thing and Israel is something else. Well, God's going to do nice things for Israel, but we're the church and we're going to be separate from them. And we've got the, we really got the, the better deal here. In fact, some of them have the eschatology. They're going to live in heaven. Israel's going to live down here on the earth. And then those in the church, they'll come down and kind of rule over uh, the people down here. And it's sheer nonsense. <clears throat> there is no prophecy about that. That is the imagination of men. Because they have had to come up with that imagination because they didn't want to be part of Israel. Now, when Israel was scattered by the Lord and sent into the nations, who in the world wants to be a believer in the Messiah and be associated with Israel? Well, they didn't want to be a part of that. They didn't want to be a part of what God was doing with Israel and the people, the house of Jacob and the the house of Judah, house of Israel. They didn't want to be a part of that. They wanted to be something better than that. They wanted, so they decided to make a definition for themselves. So they call themselves the church. They call themselves the called out assembly. However, the original called out assembly is what Israel is. The Bible said that they were to be part of the commonwealth of Israel. They were supposed to believe in the God of Israel and that the commandments that were given to Israel were given to them. But they, they walked away from all of those things. And so they've taken the Messiah, who's the king of Israel, and they've made him into the head of the church and um, divorced him from anything to do with Israel other than to judge Israel. And when we see these words here of Jeremiah prophesying what God's going to do with Israel, how he restores Israel in the end, they just ignore this stuff. They, They don't talk about this. You, you you can go Sunday morning into a good evangelical church, and are you going to hear some preacher stand up and say, let me tell you what the prophets have said God is going to do with Israel at the end of the age. Nah, they're not preaching Israel. They're not preaching what God's doing with Israel. They're going to preach about themselves. And they're going to say some nice things about themselves, and they're going to ignore all of this. Which do you think is going to happen? Seriously. Do you think God's going to fulfill his word and do this? Or do you think God's going to fulfill their word and do what they say? And if you're not on board with this, you, you might be missing out on something rather incredible. And that's my great concern. Since I have come into the Messianic movement, I have discovered... Oh, my gosh. We all love the Messiah. We all love the Lord. We appreciate his forgiveness that he's given to us and all that. But is, is the plan of God that, that 
that what we got set up with the church is is that the real plan of God, or is God going to go back to Plan A? I'm here to tell you, God's going back to Plan A. God never gave up on Plan A. He never did, and He's going to restore the fortunes of Jacob. And if we're going to be in the kingdom, we're going to be part of this. And, oh, by the way, we're going to get gathered up right with the rest of Israel at the same time. Those that will say, well, I'm going to be separate from Israel, they may be gathered, but I won't be gathered, then you're not going to make it to the kingdom. You're separating yourself from God's people. You're separating yourself from the God of Israel, the King of Israel. Um. And when the Great Tribulation comes and all of those events, you're going to be completely out of the will of God. And you're going to suffer the consequences. And instead of learning the past lessons of Israel, of, of not following the ways of the Lord, not paying attention to what the Lord said, you're going to go your own way and you're going to suffer the consequences accordingly. It's really tragic. It, it's so unnecessary. What we need to do is step back, take a fresh look, read the scripture and say, which do you think is really going to happen? Now, if this is what God is going to do with Israel, wouldn't you want to be a part of it? Or why would you separate yourself from this? It doesn't make sense. Verse 15. Thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah. Lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Thus says the Lord, restrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for your work shall be rewarded, declares the Lord, and they shall return from the land of the enemy. And there is hope for your future, declares the Lord, and your children shall return to their own territory. I have surely heard Ephraim grieving, Thou hast chastised me, and I was chastised like an untrained calf. Bring me back, that I may be restored, for thou art the rock, thou art the Lord my God. And for after I have turned back, I repented, and after I was instructed, I smote on my thigh. I was ashamed and also humiliated, because I bore the reproach of my youth. Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he a delightful child? Indeed, as often as I have spoken against him, I certainly still remember him, therefore my heart yearns for him. I will surely have mercy on him, declares the Lord. A couple of things I want to point out to you. The verse, uh, verse 15, that talks about the lamentation and Rachel weeping for her children. The gospel writers tell us that those words were fulfilled in the days of the birth of Yeshua. When in the Bethlehem area, King Herod called for the death of two-year-olds and less in an effort to kill the Messiah when he was first born. That this is the beginning of the elements of how the Messiah is going to do this wonderful work of redemption and this wonderful work of ultimately restoration. And, and then it shifts gears to talking about Ephraim. Remember, we're talking about Jeremiah the prophet to the house of Judah. He's talking about Ephraim. He's talking about the northern kingdom. He's talking about those people. 
And let me tell you how I believe that these words are being fulfilled within our day today. In this modern messianic movement, there are kind of two two elements um, on the approach on how the believers today are dealing with this whole subject of the messianic movement. There are some of my Jewish brethren, they were native born of Jacob and Jewish, and they've become believers in the Messiah and they've become messianic. In other words, they hold to the Torah and the commandments of the Lord, Sabbath and festival and kosher, and but they also hold to the New Testament and the testimony of, of the Messiah. And then we have this other group of people who aren't necessarily of, of Judah. They don't have the heritage of Judah. And yet they have come into the same assembly with the believers of the Messiah of Judah. <clears throat> and they want to kind of be a part of the fellowship and so forth. But they don't have an identity as being that of Judah. And my brethren of the house of Judah kind of resent them. And they they kind of look down their noses at them. And they don't regard them as being brethren with them. When in fact the prophecy tells us that what the Messiah is doing in these last days is restoring both the house of Judah and the house of Ephraim at the same time. And that if you're not part of the house of Judah, what do you think the chances are that these other folks might be part of the house of Ephraim? Well, there's a pretty good chance of it. Because if you go back and look at the punishment that Ephraim had to incur, for example, through the prophet Hosea that was a prophet to them, one of the things that was said of their their judgment that was upon them was they would lose their identity as being part of Israel. They wouldn't even know that they're Ephraim. They wouldn't even know they're part of Israel. But yet God would be bringing them back. Now, I understand how those of the Jews can come back. They know who they are. They belong to Israel. But here's these other people that are coming back. Something is moving them and motivating them and causing them to come back. And they believe they're part of Israel, but they can't quite give the same definition that those that are from Judah can. So what's bringing them all back? the Messiah. Spirit of the Lord and the Messiah is the one bringing them all back. Judah's being brought back by the Messiah. These other people are being brought back by the Messiah. By the way, what do you think the chances are that that's really the house of Ephraim and God is fulfilling his great promise that he said that he would not forget Ephraim and he would bring Ephraim back? I submit to you, I think there's a very good possibility that a lot of them are of Ephraim. No, not everybody. You know, because he's also supposed to be bringing a mixed multitude of people from all of the nations, people, tribes, and tongues. But he definitely has prophesied that he will bring Ephraim back and be a part of it. In fact, as you get into Ezekiel in chapter 37, he talks about joining the stick of Ephraim with the stick of Judah and becoming one in the hand of the Lord. Other prophets speak of these same things. Now, there's a lot of folks that can't deal with that. One, they haven't heard these prophecies before. They've not heard the teaching, so it's kind of new to them. So they don't know what to do with it. Then there's others of my brethren that are uh, uh, that want to vex Ephraim, uh, that disagree with this and don't want to cooperate with it. By the way, that's part of the prophecy too. 
how it's all supposed to take place. And even in the midst of all of that, the Messiah is going to be gathering us and bringing us all back. And I personally, uh, while I identify with the house of Judah most directly, I'm encouraged and I'm excited to see what God wants to do with all the other brethren. Tell you the truth, when I get to the kingdom, I want to see all of Israel there. And I want to see all of Israel's companions. I want to see all the different people, tribes, tongues, and so forth of the world that God created on the heavens of the earth. And I want to see them be part of the kingdom. Which, by the way, that's what the Messiah said he would do. He would be the king and the savior of the whole world. And that in Abraham's seed, who's the Messiah, would all the families of the earth be blessed. And that's what we see taking place. This is the kind of restoration that Jeremiah is talking about. Again, the contrast from where he prophesied earlier about judgments on the house of Judah to now talking about the wonderful things that are going to take place for all of Israel is just stunning and amazing. I've been excited about getting to these chapters and teaching this book by getting to this point because the contrast is incredible. The applications are still very true today, and we should learn from Jeremiah uh, from that. But I'm excited to hear what God has promised to do and what he intends to do with all of us. All right, we are going to conclude here at this point, and we'll start our new study on the next episode of chapter 31, beginning at verse 21. And until then, shalom to all of you. Thank you for joining us. This broadcast is made possible by the Lord and the donations of brethren like yourself. If you would like to give a donation to help keep this broadcast on the air, please visit llgive.com. Thank you and shalom.